Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, November 14th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, Patrick is running. How hard is this last-minute filing stuff anyway? The Trump impeachment stuff in three minutes or less. Rocky Moore Cummings is running for her late husband's house seat. And there is a big asterisk in Twitter's new rules about political ads. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, surprise, surprise, Deval Patrick is officially running. Just to reiterate, he is the former two-term governor of Massachusetts, former attorney general for the Civil Rights Division of the Clinton administration, and former managing director at Bain Capital. More on that Bain thing in a moment. Back in December of 2018, Patrick said he would not run, citing concerns about the effects of the election on him and his family. Well, that has changed, and he spoke about his campaign on CBS this morning. I have added him to my spreadsheet in a big way, and we are now up to 18 major Democrats in this race again. Okay, let's listen to his announcement video in which Patrick lays out some personal history and his basic rationale for joining the race. Listen in. Hi, everyone. I'm Deval Patrick. I used to be governor of Massachusetts, but that's not where I started. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I lived there with my grandparents, my mother and sister, and our grandparents' two-bedroom tenement, some of that time on welfare. I went to big, broken, overcrowded public schools. And still, my grandmother used to tell us we were not poor, just broke. Because broke, she said, is temporary. Through the love and support of family, great teachers, adults in the neighborhood and in church, I learned to look up, not down, to hope for the best and work for it. I was the first in my family to go to college and law school and have had a chance to work in government, in nonprofits, and in business. I've had a chance to live my American dream. But over the years, I've seen the path to that dream gradually closing off bit by bit. The anxiety and even anger that I saw in my neighbors on the South Side, the sense that the government and the economy were letting us down, were no longer about us, is what folks feel all over America today in all kinds of communities. I admire and respect the candidates in the Democratic field. They bring a richness of ideas and experience and a depth of character that makes me proud to be a Democrat. But if the character of the candidates is an issue in every election, this time is about the character of the country. This time is about whether the day after the election, America will keep her promises. This time is about more than removing an unpopular and divisive leader, as important as that is, but about delivering instead for you. So in a spirit of profound gratitude for all the country has given to me, and with a determination to build a better, more sustainable, more inclusive American dream for the next generation, I am today announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Come be a part of this. We will build as we climb to welcome other teachers and learners, other seekers of a better way and builders of a better future. This won't be easy, and it shouldn't be, but I'm placing my faith in the people who feel left out and left back, who just want a fair shot at a better future, not built by somebody better than you, not built for you, but built with you. Now let's get started. Thank you. One note on that video. Patrick's campaign committee is called Deval for All, in what I think is a masterful way to make sure people know how to pronounce his first name. 
Okay, today Patrick will head to New Hampshire to do that whole photo op thing and visit the historical desk and, you know, when time permits, sign up to be on that primary ballot. As I said yesterday, that is the big one, and he's getting there with just one day to spare. Now, whether he'll be able to reach the December DNC debate? Look, I doubt it. I guess it's possible, but I would put that in the super-duper-hard category. Okay, reading from a story in the New York Times by Matt Stevens and Jonathan Martin. Quote, After leaving office in 2015, Patrick joined Bain Capital, the private equity firm co-founded by Mitt Romney, a former governor of Massachusetts himself and currently a senator from Utah. Mr. Patrick's association with Bain has started to draw fire from some liberal critics and from the Republican National Committee, which called him Mr. Bain in an email Thursday, despite the fact that Mr. Romney was the party's 2012 presidential nominee. Mr. Patrick told the Boston Globe on Wednesday night that he had resigned from Bain, effective that day. He also said he had spoken with Mr. Obama on Wednesday and that the former president had offered him advice. Abe Rakov, who recently worked for former Representative Beto O'Rourke's now-defunct presidential campaign, will be Mr. Patrick's campaign manager. Last year, when deciding to forego a presidential run, Mr. Patrick blamed what he said was the cruelty of our elections process and noted that his wife, Diane, had recently been given a cancer diagnosis. She is now healthy, and Mr. Patrick seemed to suggest that her recovery helped open the door to a new campaign. End quote. And now, a quick item I've been wanting to talk about for about a week now. We keep having these candidates show up and either file or not file for primaries in various states. Those filing deadlines are driving both political action and political news. But what does it take to actually get on those ballots? Like, specifically, what action does the candidate have to do in order for that candidate's name to show up on a ballot next year? Well, it is a state-by-state process, obviously, but I want to look at Alabama as a key example, because it is the first deadline in the nation, and it was the one that put Bloomberg in the spotlight. It was also the one that revealed, for sure, that Jeff Sessions is on the hunt for his old Senate seat. So, reading here from a story in the Montgomery Advertiser by Brian Lyman, quote, To get on the Alabama Democratic presidential ballot, Candidates must gather signatures from 500 registered voters, or at least 50 voters from each of the state's seven congressional districts. Applicants must also pay a $2,500 filing fee. Representatives of Bloomberg arrived at Alabama Democratic Party headquarters shortly after 4 p.m. on Friday. He qualified just before 4.30 p.m. Bloomberg's representatives declined to comment as they left the building. End quote. So, this is a pretty typical process, but it also may explain why a candidate like Mayor Wayne Messam missed the Arkansas filing. This process requires people on the ground in that state. They have to gather hundreds of signatures. And yes, most campaigns do that via those clipboard people out there on the street or at college campuses or whatever. And they have to fill out paperwork, generally at the party headquarters, and they have to pay a fee, and all of this stuff requires people. Lots of them in lots of places. Okay, so that's the Alabama process. So just repeat that with specific variations for every single state and you're in. I think this is just one example of why campaigns need your money to get through this process.
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the impeachment news in three minutes or less. Shockingly, not a ton happened today, at least not before I said this out loud, and I'm pretty sure I just messed that up for everybody. We do have a bunch of analysis and review of all the testimony yesterday, and everybody is gearing up for the public testimony tomorrow, that is Friday, that will feature former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich. Meanwhile, let me play you one more clip from yesterday's hearings in which Bill Taylor revealed something new. Listen in. Last Friday, a member of my staff told me of events that occurred on July 26th. While Ambassador Volker and, I, Volker and I visited the front, this member of my staff accompanied Ambassador Sondland. Ambassador Sondland met with Mr. Yerbach. Following that meeting, in the presence of my staff, at a restaurant, Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kiev. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. At the time I gave my deposition on October 22nd, I was not aware of this information. I am including it here for completeness. As the committee knows, I reported this information through counsel to the State Department's legal advisor, as well as to counsel for both the majority and the minority of this committee. It is my understanding that the committee is following up on this matter. Okay, so the House went ahead and asked David Holmes, who was reportedly the staffer who overheard that conversation, to testify behind closed doors on Friday. Presumably, that is to get the first-hand account on the record, rather than Taylor's account, which is second-hand. And in case it's not clear, the reason this tidbit matters is that it could be evidence that Trump himself was directing Sondland on, you know, the investigations. Trump reportedly said he does not remember this phone call at all. And in late breaking news, there is apparently another person who overheard that same phone call. It's unclear as of this recording whether that person will also have to visit the house to testify. But as a procedural thing, this is notable for two simple reasons. First, even though we have public testimony now, we are still getting new private testimony as well. That's a bit of a surprise since the perception was the House finished up the closed door stuff and moved to the public stuff. Well, not so fast. Both things are still happening. 
And second, if testimony on the very first day of public hearings leads to more closed-door testimony, which can in turn lead to more public testimony, how long could this go on? You know, I have no solid answer for you, but stay tuned and I will keep you posted. And now, some news about a house race in Baltimore. Reading from a story in the Baltimore Sun by Luke Broadwater, quote, Maryland Democratic Party Chairwoman Maya Rocky Moore Cummings, the widow of U.S. Representative Elijah Cummings, is running for her husband's seat, arguing Monday she is the best option to carry out his legacy and continue his vision. I am, of course, devastated at the loss of my spouse. But his spirit is with me, Rocky Moore Cummings, 48, said in an interview with the Baltimore Sun. I'm going to run this race, and I'm going to run it hard, as if he's still right here by my side. Cummings, who had cancer, died October 17th after serving more than two decades in Congress. He left a record of fighting for the needy and battling the administration of Republican President Donald Trump. Rocky Moore Cummings, a public policy consultant who is founder of the Washington consulting firm Global Policy Solutions LLC, and a former 2018 candidate for governor, said her husband told her months before he died he would like for her to succeed him. End quote. Okay, so this is intense in many ways. Rocky Moore Cummings is dealing with the death of her husband, Elijah. And that's a lot. So now she has kicked off this new campaign. Okay, that's also a lot. But there's even more. Reading once again from the Baltimore Sun. Quote, In the interview, Rocky Moore Cummings also said she will have a preventative double mastectomy Friday. She said her mother died from breast cancer in 2015, and her sister was diagnosed last year with the disease. Rocky Moore Cummings said she and her late husband discussed her undergoing the procedure, and it was scheduled before he died. She said she believed the surgery would take her off the campaign trail for up to four weeks. I'm going to take the time I need to heal and do what I can behind the scenes to make sure my campaign is strong, she said. It's going to be a sprint election, end quote. So the primary for the special election to fill that 7th district seat is coming up on February 4th. And then the special election itself is on April 28th, which is the same day as the regular Maryland primary. Rocky Moore Cummings faces at least three competitors in that primary, including Kwaizi Omfume, who held that seat in the 80s and 90s and was also president of the NAACP. So this could be a really tough primary. According to the FEC, Cummings had more than $1.1 million in cash on hand at the end of Q2. Now, as we discussed in the episode from August 2nd, link in the show notes, candidates who have leftover money can donate it to another candidate's campaign committee. Now, I presume that means Rocky Moore Cummings enters this primary with plenty of cash. Last up today, let's talk about Twitter. On the last day of October, I reported that Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey announced he was ending all political advertising on Twitter. Part of what he wrote and part of what I read was the following. Quote, We considered stopping only candidate ads, but issue ads present a way to circumvent. Additionally, it isn't fair for everyone but candidates to buy ads for issues they want to push. So we're stopping these too. End quote. 
Well, according to a report by Alex Kantrowitz for BuzzFeed News, there may be a rather large loophole in that new rule. In the report, he describes a meeting between Twitter executives and advertisers in which Twitter laid out the new rules, which are due to be published tomorrow. Reading from the report, quote, For candidates, it seems like none of that advertising is going to be allowed, the advertiser said. For issue advocacy, the rules are a little bit more permissive. The exceptions from what Twitter Global VP of Revenue and Content Partnerships Matt Dorella has told me will be for organizations that are not directly talking about a legislative issue, the advertiser said. In other words, ads talking about climate change generally are likely going to be accepted. Ads about the legislation that would enact the Green New Deal are not. Issue awareness ads would be allowed. Issue action-oriented ads that are based on a specific policy are definitely not, the advertiser said, according to their interpretation of the meeting with Twitter. End quote. After BuzzFeed News contacted Twitter, they got a response that basically said, Twitter is listening and maybe these rules are subject to change since they have not been publicly announced yet. Reading once more from the article, quote, Dorsey indicated that there would be exceptions to the policy on political ads last week, in response to criticisms from Democratic presidential candidate Senator Elizabeth Warren, who claimed on November 5th that Twitter would allow ads from fossil fuel companies while banning ads from organizations fighting the climate crisis. Dorsey wrote, We haven't announced our new rules yet. They come out 11.15, taking all this into consideration. End quote. So stay tuned tomorrow to see whether Twitter ads can be about legislation or not. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. As I record this, news is breaking that there has been yet another school shooting in Santa Clarita, California. I don't have any detail on it right now, except there are kids being rushed to the hospital again. And weirdly, it appears this happened in a district without a congressional representative because Santa Clarita is in what was Katie Hill's district, but she just resigned. So, I don't know. I guess Eric Swalwell from the 15th may have to jump in on this one. More on that tomorrow, perhaps. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.